It's Friday, March 3rd. Today's WBFO brief was recorded around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. Here's Jay Moran. Reaction continues in the wake of the Wednesday death of Buffalo firefighter Jason Arno. As WBFO's Thomas O'Neill White reports, efforts are underway to provide support to Arno's young family. While expressing their deepest sympathies to the family of firefighter Jason Arno, who lost his life battling Wednesday's four-alarm blaze in downtown Buffalo, Buffalo Professional Firefighters Local 282 President Vincent Fantresca remembered Arno as a dedicated and well-liked individual. For myself, I met him numerous times and uh, had the pleasure of working with him a few times. And I can just see his face, and it's just that smile. And he was always a great guy to be around. With an outpouring of support for Arno, Ventresca says the union is working to provide a streamlined process to monetarily support Arno's family. This is a young, a young member on the department, uh, new to the department, uh, newly married, young child. So we just want to have a direct avenue for people to make donations, so there's nothing other than that. This includes Zelle and Venmo pages, and Ventresca says the family will also receive support from benefits through the state. Donation information will be shared through the union's Facebook page and buffalofirefighters.org. Thomas O'Neill-White, WBFO News. Officials say contractors using blowtorches on the Main Street building's brick exterior may have sparked the blaze, though the cause of the fire does remain under investigation. An administrative judge says Starbucks violated federal law on multiple occasions during its dealings with local workers attempting to unionize. The ruling from Judge Michael Rosas for the National Labor Relations Board, orders the coffee retail giant to reinstate seven fired workers and to reopen the Cheektowaga store that had been closed amid organizing activity. The order also calls on Starbucks interim CEO Howard Schultz to read or be present at a reading of employees' rights and distribute a recording to all of the company's employees in the United States. The company says it's considering legal options. They could appeal to the Labor Board and beyond that, take the case to federal court. Housing advocates say now is the time to enact a proposed statewide law known as cause or good cause eviction, which gives tenants more rights in fighting evictions from their landlords. WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt has more. Albany is one of a handful of cities in the state that enacted their own good cause eviction laws after the measure stagnated in the state legislature. Canyon Ryan, who runs United Tenants of Albany, says the ruling does not say that there's anything wrong with the legislation, only that it can't be enacted in a single municipality unless eviction laws for the entire state are changed. What this ruling does is um, accentuates the urgency and need for the state to do their job. Um, you know, there are tenants now in Albany who are already seeing their rents uh, prospectively increased as a result of this ruling. Anna Leek is one of them. She says tenants in her complex are facing eviction because they can't pay the dramatically higher rents that will be required after planned renovations. She says moving to a new place requires one month's rent in advance and other fees that most of them can't pay. Where can we go because we can't afford any other place to go. We lived here for a reason because this was low income. Our rates are going, our rents are going up 
dramatically. The advocates say millions of tenants across the state are facing similar no-cause evictions from landlords. The groups, including the Legal Aid Society and Housing Justice for All, have been pressing for a statewide good cause eviction law since 2019, and they have backing from the chairs of the state legislature's housing committees. The measure would require landlords to justify rent increases of greater than 3 percent and gives tenants the power to challenge evictions that they believe are arbitrary, retaliatory, or discriminatory. Assembly Housing Chair Linda Rosenthal, who represents parts of the Upper West Side and Hell's Kitchen in Manhattan, says she herself was a victim of an attempted eviction by a landlord. We need to pass good cause this year. You know, who are we talking about? We're talking about our fellow human beings who are being treated like a table you can just throw out of your apartment. And we also know that landlords can be ruthless and really don't care. That's why the law has to force them to abide by rules and regulations. Governor Kathy Hochul announced a plan to facilitate the building of 800,000 more housing units over the next several years to help ease the housing shortage. But she did not include the good cause eviction measure as part of her plan. The governor, asked by reporters in Albany earlier this week, did not directly answer whether she supports the measure, saying instead she wants to focus on the proposals she's already laid out. We put forth the plan that we're going to be working on this year already. Hochul's plan, included in her budget proposal, would help builders put up more housing units quickly by strengthening the state's ability to override restrictive local zoning laws and fast-tracking some environmental reviews. Assembly Housing Chair Rosenthal says while it's fine to build more housing, it's more effective to help keep people in their existing homes. Senate Housing Committee Chair Brian Kavanaugh says the good cause measure needs to be part of any housing package that the governor and legislature ultimately decide on. We've been talking now for a while about doing a comprehensive package. That comprehensive package will not be complete without basic tenant protections. The Housing Committee chairs say there's a chance there could be an agreement on good cause legislation as a standalone bill and that it could be approved independently of the budget before the end of the month. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. For Theater Talk on WBFO, I'm Anthony Chase. And I'm Peter Hall. And, Peter, I I can tell you half of what I've seen this week because (laughs) I I only received a program half the time, including that sometimes it's a lie. They say you just scan this little barcode and there will be a program there for you. And there flat out was not one at at one theater and then at another theater. And Usher smugly told me after having given the program to the person right in front of me, we're all out. (laughs) Well, what am I supposed to do? Oh, I know. I'm not mentioning names, but that was Kleinhans. But uh, <laughs> then I was told later that there were boxes of programs backstage, so I just think it was a an arch usher feeling the power of her position. <laughs> but anyway, I know I did see The Thin Place, the Lucas Nath piece down at the Road Less Traveled Theater, or uh, should I say Lucas Nath? I think, I think it's Nath at the opening night with their brand new bar, which they are most proud. Well, they should be. They should be. It's a beautiful bar. It is a very nice bar. I was hoping for signature cocktails. Maybe they'll work their way up to that. What would the Thin Place cocktail be? Just ouzo and water, something murky, you know? Something murky. But, uh, In the play, didn't they mention Negroni? They may have. There were, well, they, they, you could get a Negroni there. I did see that. Oh, good. It's an awfully strong drink for the theater, don't you think? <laughs> you know, the ancestor of the Negroni is the Americano, which uh, young people will try to tell you is coffee, but no. The Americano is Campari, 
sweet vermouth and soda with a slice of orange. And f- to make that a Negroni, you switch gin for the soda water. And this was done specifically to make it a strong drink. And I'm thinking, well, no, no, I, I don't want I don't want a strong drink. <laughs> Something light and festive. But actually, didn't you tell me once that when you're reviewing, you never drink? Oh, no, no, Peter. That's when I'm in a show. When I'm oh. in a show, from the moment I hit the stage door, I don't drink. Not until the intermission. <laughs> That's a Kaufman and Hart joke. That's from You Can't Take It With. <laughs> and the Americano, by the way, is the first cocktail ordered by James Bond in an Ian Fleming novel, in case you needed that trivial bit of knowledge. But there you are. They have a beautiful bar and a beautiful play. I thought The Thin Place was marvelous. That Renee Landrigan as Hilda, who dearly, dearly wants to communicate with her grandmother who has departed to the other side and finds a psychic, a spiritualist named Linda, though they have them reversed in the program. (laughs) Okay, they had a program at least. They're reversed, but they had a program. (laughs) I will tell people it is a ghost story. Yes. And uh, Margaret Massman playing Linda, the spiritualist, and very compelling in the role. Yes, and with a very consistent and quite believable British accent. And then we saw that Jen Tui of the Shah once again stepping in and doing her marvelous job. So it was probably very specific. It was undoubtedly Lincolnshire or something like that. (laughs) Oh, incidentally, I will be performing again because this Sunday, this Sunday I will be back at Bittersweet Piano Lounge doing Anthony Chase, My Life in the Audience at 8 o'clock. Tickets available at the BUA website, the Buffalo United Artists website. And can they make a good Negroni at the bar? I've never had a Negroni at that bar, you know, and and, and I wouldn't, not till the intermission. (laughs) (laughs) Always a professional, Mr. Chase. And, you know, I did venture out to Lancaster. I, I ventured out to Lancaster Opera House to see Clue. This based on the 1985 film that had Tim Curry and Madeleine Kahn and Eileen Brennan brilliant cast. And this also has a brilliant cast of comic geniuses. Wadsworth is the butler with Tim Curry in the movie, and it's Peter Horn. And Miss Scarlet is Emily Yancey. Mary McMahon, just as daft as Eileen Brennan as Mrs. Peacock. Andrew Waldy Boucher as Mrs. White. And at the critical moment, that everyone's favorite Madeleine Kahn moment from the film where she says, I hated her. I hated her so much. Little blue flames. And she goes right into it and rather presentationally is doing the impersonation and the audience roars in recognition. It's wonderful. Dave Spachalski as Colonel Mustard, who is a a foon and a buffoon. And and the character turns to him and says, you're a real colonel, aren't you? (laughs) Dave Lundy as Professor Plum, disgraced but unrepentant Professor Plum. And and Mr. Green is Larry Smith, who has never been funnier. It's so funny. That is one great cast. Wow, it is. Is that some enough? of the best? My, my. That's just like the movie. That's all it is. And I ask you, isn't fun one of the things the theater is supposed to provide? It's not always supposed to be good for you. Well, I always like to tell people when it's almost too late, and it's almost too late to catch the finale of the Aleph Complex over at the alleyway. Kind of, you know, a little bit one-off, a little bit mysterious. I think uh, folks will like the Aleph Complex, but it closes this weekend. I will, and support new plays like that. And then opening this weekend is The Play That Goes Wrong, a wacky farce about the theater up at Duville's Kavanoke Theater. For Theater Talk on WBFO, I'm Peter Hall. And I'm Anthony Chase. Be sure to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, by all means, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team is made possible by members. Thanks for listening.